Well, good morning. How are we doing today? Good, good. Hey, if you would please open up to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, Matthew 14 is where we're going to be. And my name is George Jacobus, and I've had the privilege of uh, speaking here a, a few months ago. And man, it's not lost on me the honor to speak here one time, but to be asked back again is, is, is another huge honor. You know, some of y'all could have emailed, hey, I know he's you know, good looking and all, but never again. Don't ever bring him back here again. And so, uh, so anyway, it's a privilege to be able to, uh, to preach and open up the word of God with you uh, this morning. So uh, several years ago, uh, I would say in 2001, which is more years than I care to admit, uh, in 2001, I remember sitting uh, at what is now Fuddruckers. What it used to be, if you didn't know, was Garcia's. And uh, Garcia's had amazing chips and amazing salsa. So for a poor college student, it was the place to go. Because we could go there, uh, me and a friend, at this point it was me and Lindsay, and we could eat, fill up on chips and salsa and hot sauce, drink water, and then split fajitas and get out of there for like $10. And so it was a big deal. And so I remember this particular moment, Lindsay and I were sitting there at Garcia's, and I looked across the table to her, and it, there, there wasn't like a light coming down from heaven moment. It wasn't like she said something that was just mind-blowing, but I remember thinking, I'm going to marry this woman. And, and little did I know that that one thought, that that one conversation, uh, or that one moment would lead to a bunch of leaps that I would have to take in my life. One of the biggest leaps that I had to take uh, from that sort of discovery, that sort of moment, was calling up Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Hey, Ron, uh, this is George. Yeah, Lindsay's boyfriend. That's who it is, George. And, uh, and I was just wondering if next week, next Wednesday, I could come in to call or the Woodlands and we could go and have dinner together. Now, that's not a normal conversation I had. It wasn't like I called up Ron every few weeks and I drove to the Woodlands and had dinner with him and his wife. But I pull up the next Wednesday uh, to their house in the Woodlands and we get in the car and I'm thinking about all the small talk that I have to make. I mean, we get in the car together and I'm like, hey, how's the weather? How are the Rockets doing? How are the Astros doing? And then I'm like, I run out of stuff to talk about. Because the key is not jumping into the conversation too early uh, because if it doesn't go well, you don't want to have an awkward dinner you know, right before uh, all of that. And so I'm sitting at Tom's Barbecue in the Woodlands and we finally order our food. And I'm like, hey, I know it's been awkward before this moment, but I'm, I'm here to ask you a question. And they're like, yeah, we know. Yeah, we know that you're here to ask me a question, ask us a question. And so I said, hey, I love your daughter and I would, I, w- I would love to marry her and I want your blessing. And it's funny because in that moment, I felt completely exposed. Here I am, 22 years old. I'm in debt as a college student because of student loans and some bad credit card stuff. And then I have a promise of a job, but I'm currently unemployed. And that job is in Denver, Colorado. Lindsay's like eighth generation Houstonian. And so to take their, they knew that the yes in that moment was sending her to Denver, Colorado. And then there are other things that you're like, hey, all these decisions. And I remember just feeling exposed because my life 
plan, what I thought I was going to do, my hopes, my dreams, my desires were purely in the hands of the people right across the table from me. Whether or not they said yes or no. But knowing all of that, like understanding all of that, that the question that, we, that I ask myself is, how did I get to that moment where I'm ready to take that kind of leap? Because the truth was, I really wasn't looking forward to it. I mean, anxiety was all in my stomach. My stomach was in knots. I didn't sleep well. I was kind of a hot mess, like getting up to that moment. But yet here I am trying to keep as much composure as I can, taking a leap and saying, hey, I want to marry your daughter. And what was it that got me to the point where I was willing to take that type of step? Now, the the reason I ask that question is because I think it's a similar question that we have to ask from this particular account in Matthew chapter 14, where Peter walks on the water. But, but before we get to Matthew 14, let, let me set the stage for you a little bit. So Matthew 14 starts at a party. King Herod is throwing this, this big party. And in the middle of this big party, there's a woman who catches King's Herod, King Herod's attention. So much so that he's so infatuated with her that he looks at her and says, Hey, whatever you want, I'll give you. And she says perfect. I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. So King Herod does it. John the Baptist was in jail. King King Herod had him executed, beheaded on a platter to this woman. Now, Jesus and John the Baptist, pretty connected. I mean, like, like they're very connected. And so Jesus mourns the death of John the Baptist. It actually says that he withdraws to a, to a desolate place. But because Jesus is popular and because he's, he's really sought after, um, people start following him. About 5,000 men and their families follow him. And so Jesus is over here in a desolate place trying to mourn something. And then he looks out and there are 5,000 men here with all their families. And so he begins to teach them. And then it's nighttime and there's no free birds. There's no double days. There's no cheddars. There's no Garcias or it's going to turn into a Fuddruckers later. There's none of that here. And so his disciple says, hey, we've got to feed him. So he gets five loaves, two fish. And Jesus blesses the food and starts breaking all of this food. And as he breaks this food, the disciples get to see a miracle happen. All these people are fed and they collect 12 baskets of leftover food from this five loaves and two fish. But then Jesus sends the disciples on a boat to go across the Sea of Galilee And he dismisses the crowds and Jesus goes away. Still mourning his friend. Still praying and asking the Lord for wisdom, direction. For what step to take next. And this is where we pick up the account. Look at Matthew 14 verse 22. It says immediately. Now I want you to underline the word immediately if you're one that writes in your Bible. Underline that word. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, 
while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. Now, just so we can like understand, have a little bit more context around this, uh, the word for uh, many, the, 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 the boat was a long distance away or a long way. The Greek word there is a word called stadia. And, and that stadia is, is a measurement of 607 feet. And so the Greek denotes that it is many stadia away. It is a long way from the shore. So a stadia, roughly one football field, you know, give or take a few feet. But this boat is way beyond one, way beyond two, way beyond three. It is many stadia away. So there's no rocks to walk on. There's no uh, hidden illusion here uh, of what the rest of the story gets to hold. But the boat is beaten by the waves. They've been struggling against the wind. A lot of these disciples are fishermen, so they know what that's like to be on open water in the middle of the wind, in the middle of the night. And in verse 25, it says, In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them, walking on the sea. Now, I don't know what you're like uh, in the fourth watch of the night, uh, but the fourth watch of the night is between 4 and 6 a.m. I mean, I don't know what, what, what your world looks like, but uh, there's a show on Netflix called Awake. And it's a, it's a game show where these people count. Uh, they have a million dollars in quarters right in front of them. And they have to stay up and count as many quarters as they can without writing down their number. Like they have no pen and paper. They just count quarters for 24 hours. And then after that, they can win how much they counted just by accomplishing these simple tasks after the 24 hours. And so you should see him try to balance quarters on, on this stuff. Or you should see him like try to smack an egg on their head. You should see him try to do all those things because it's the fourth watch of the night for them. It's late or early, depending on how you look at it. And they're disoriented. They, they're talking funny. They're kind of slurring their words a little bit. And it's just a little delirium inside of the room. And so it's that type of moment. These disciples have been up for a long time. It's the fourth watch of the night. And then this happens in verse 26 or 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Verse 26. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. I mean, it's, they're rubbing their eyes. They're like, hey, Peter, what is happening here? This is, are you seeing this too? And Peter's like, yeah, I see it. They're waking up John and James and all the other folks. And they're like, hey, are you seeing this? Are you seeing what's happening right here? And they're terrified. They're terrified. But look at what Jesus does in verse 27. But immediately, underline that word immediately. Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I do not be afraid. Jesus, knowing that they're scared, knowing that it's, that it's a little disorienting to see this happening, he looks at them in care and in love and says, hey guys, it's me. Everything's okay. Now, now Peter here, he's like, 
not going to take the answer at first. You know, you know, ready, speak, think, Peter. Like he, he's not going to take the answer. And so he says in verse 28, uh, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he's like, that'll show him. He's like, hey, hey, Jesus, if it's you, you're doing that, which is pretty amazing. Tell me to come out there to you. And I don't know what Peter was expecting to hear in this particular moment, but he only gets a one word answer. Verse 29, Jesus said, come. That's it. All right, Peter. Come on. You want to play one-on-one? Let's go one-on-one. Get out of the boat. Let's go. You know, I don't know if that's the answer that Peter was expecting, but that's the answer that he got. And so Peter gets out of the boat and literally starts walking on the water. We can read it right here. It says, so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Like, let's get the context here. Peter walks all the way to Jesus. We don't know how far it is. There's no stadia word here in Greek, but we know Peter makes it to Jesus. And then when he gets to Jesus, he says, he sees the wind, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So imagine this. Peter, late at night, walks on the water to Jesus, experiences this amazing thing, and then sees the wind and the waves and sinks. But that whole experience was predicated on one word. Come. Hey, Jesus, if it's you, get me out of this boat. And he's like, all right, come on, let's go. And what I find really interesting is that oftentimes in Scripture and in our life, Jesus calls his people to get out of the boat and come and trust him. I mean, think about Abraham. Abraham has this great vision from the Lord, is thinking all, like, sees this whole thing about, hey, your descendants are going to be more than the sands and the seashore, more than the stars and the sky. You won't be able to count your whole lineage. And then God looks at Abraham and says, hey, you know what? But in order for that to happen, I need you to leave this place. I need you to go to a land that I'll show you later. He's like, come on. Come on. I mean, Take Abraham, great, yeah, cool. But then look at Ananias. Ananias is minding his own business. Hears from the Lord and says, hey, uh, Ananias, uh, there's a guy, his name is Saul. And Ananias like, yeah, I know Saul. He kills Christians. He's not a friend of ours. He's not a great guy. And God's like, yeah, um, Ananias, um, I'm gonna need you to talk to Saul about me. I mean, Ananias has got to be like, yeah, um, Jesus, that's a great idea. Or God, that's a really great thought. But, but I'm just letting you know, if I go talk to him, I'm kind of exposed here. Um, he is not known for loving Christians, uh, especially ones that kind of sell out to you. And, and so it's not going to end well for me. 
But yet God invites Ananias into the story of Saul's life so that Saul can then become transformed, understand the gospel, and then begin to plant church after church after church and write the New Testament. It's going to be preserved for years. And so here's Ananias talking to God, and God's like, all right, come on, step out of the boat a little bit. But, but the truth is, it doesn't just end with Abraham or Ananias. Like The truth is, it's us too. That God continually asks us to step out of the boat. To step out of the boat of the safety of our culture and to live our life in a dramatically different way. Now, it's not salvation. Like when we come to know the Lord, God just transacts our sin and gives us life in the middle of it. But then our attitude shifts and what there's this idea called sanctification where we begin to, we begin to look more and more like Jesus. And so God continually asks us to step out of our culture, out of the safetyness of the boat, and to take steps that sometimes don't make sense. I mean, take marriage for a second. I mean, God calls husbands to to love their wives like Christ loved the church. I mean, how's, how about that bar, men? Hey, you know what, guys? My best, my best advice, just to love her like Jesus loves you. I'm like, yeah, Jesus gave up everything. He's like, yeah, I know. I mean, talk about the most unnatural state to be in. Where your wife's hopes, dreams, passions, desires... Are, are now primary to you. That's a different message than what our culture is going to tell us. But then take the role of a, of a wife. You know those moments when you just don't see eye to eye together? And, and, and you've prayed about it and you thought about it. And there's just still, you know, a little butting of the head. Maybe that's just me and my wife. I don't know if you've experienced it. But it, and then... The Lord calls her to say, hey, you know what? I trust you as a leader of our family to make that decision. Talk about an unnatural place to be. Talk about stepping out of the boat and walking towards the Lord, right? But, but take marriage and, and put that aside. And let's think about parenting. I mean, like, let's think about the, the souls that God has placed in your life to shape and mold to, for them to love the Lord. And God calls you to raise them differently than the culture says. Hey, look, I know you're in fourth grade, but you're not going to get an iPhone right now. I know Johnny's parents have it, but that's just not what we're doing in our house. And it, hey, I know that, um, that, that your extracurricular activities are, are really important and you're really good at it and you're really gifted at them. But, but God has designed, God has given me the challenge of putting you in the place to hear from the Lord. And so we may not do exactly the things that all your friends do that are good at baseball too, or good at soccer. And there are all these things that God calls you to. And I'm not calling out cell phones or sports. I think all those things are great. But there are moments that God challenges us to step out of the boat and look to look differently than our culture. But, but take parenting, take marriage. And then let's think about uh, sharing the gospel with others. 
You know the moment when man, you're to share in a conversation with someone that you've been praying for for a long time? And just the courage that it takes to get to that moment? I mean, think about your finances. You know, God calls us to cheerfully give to the church. I mean, have you ever tried to explain that to a non-believer? Someone who, who, who doesn't know the Lord? And they're like, okay, so help me understand this. Uh, you take your money, yep, that, that you earn, yep, and, and you give happily some of that to the church? Yeah. Man, you're weird. You're weird. But that's what God calls us to, to step out of the boat, look differently than our culture. Think about the decisions that you make every day. How you pick whether that job is right. How you understand like where I should behave in this particular situation. All the things that you do. And I'm telling you, the same thing that Jesus asked Peter is the same thing that Jesus asks asks us every day. Hey, will you step out of the boat? Hey, will you trust me? Will you look at me? Will you gaze upon me? And I know right now it doesn't make sense. I know this journey that you're on right now, that decision does not make sense. But will you say yes to what I've called you to? And will you respond positively when I ask you to step out of the boat and look different than our culture? And Jesus asks us that question every day. The same way he asked Peter. And so the question that we have to wrestle with, the question that we have to ask is how does Peter muster up the courage to get out of the boat? How does Peter muster up the courage to say yes? So so here's the first thing. Peter mustered up the courage to say yes because it wasn't his first yes. Here's what I mean. Matthew chapter four. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus was walking by and Peter was working on his nets. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, hey, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. So listen, here's what I find fascinating is that when Jesus said come, it wasn't the first time that he asked Peter to come. It wasn't the first time that he asked Peter to step out of the boat. No, Jesus used the exact same word that he used with Peter in Matthew 4 that he did in Matthew 14. And so it wasn't the first time that Peter stepped out of the boat. You see, Peter had to leave his career. He had to leave his family. He had to leave everything he knew. And he already had experience saying yes to the Lord and In the moment when he's at the boat, ready to step out, he has a whole lifeline of experience of God's faithfulness in his life that encourages him to say yes. Does that make sense? And so here we are at the moment. What's the first thing that Peter does? Like, how does Peter get out of the boat? Well, it's because he said yes before. And he had and understood the faithfulness of God before that encouraged him to step out of the boat again. So so how does that happen in our life? I mean, when was the last time that you pondered 
God being faithful to you? I mean, like, when was the last time that you thought about, man, there are moments that I said yes to the Lord, a bunch of small things and maybe some big things. And you know what? God has been faithful to me. Let me share with you uh, some of mine. So, so my parents didn't even grow up in the same country. My mom grew up on the island of Crete. My dad grew up in Connecticut. Can't get much more different than that. And not only that, like my parents' company or my grandparents' company wasn't doing very well. And so they had to declare bankruptcy because of some bad investments. And they moved to Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, My dad struggled with the transition. My grandfather passed away uh, when my dad was in high school. And long story short, he graduated last in his class. That might explain some things about me, but he graduated last in his class. Graduating last in your class, you don't have a lot of options. Not a believer. And said, you know, I'm going to join the military. His dad was in the military. His older brother was in the military. So my dad went and enlisted in the United States Army. When he was in the Army, he got stationed in a place called Schweinfurt, Germany. My mom, island of Crete, there was a financial um, depression on the island. And so she had um, older siblings that lived in Germany. And so her parents decided to go move to Schweinfurt, Germany. And you're like, yeah, okay, that's still like, yeah, great. Very unique set of circumstances and situations. But then they're at an ice skating rink in Schweinfurt. My dad, this white man from Connecticut, and this tan woman from the island of Crete. He notices her. She slips and falls. He picks her up. And here I am on June 14th, 2019. God's faithfulness brought two people from different countries together and had them start a family. Um, Then, parents not believers. Uh, When my dad was in Schweinfurt, he met a man named Captain, or uh, yeah, Captain William J. Clark, who was a chaplain. He was captain at the time. He retired as a colonel, but my dad met Chaplain Clark and Chaplain Clark led my dad to the Lord. My dad goes home and leads my mom to the Lord. And then I have an older sister that's born in Schweinfurt. And my parents, my dad gets out of the army and moves to Dallas. Uh, My mom didn't know she was pregnant with a baby and goes to the doctor because she's not feeling well. And so the doctor prescribes her some medicine And she takes the medicine and then he says, hey, come back in 10 days. Well, then she comes back in 10 days and she tells the doctor, hey, um, I think I know why I wasn't feeling good. It's because I'm pregnant. And and my mom tells the story that the doctor, when she said that she was pregnant, he um, got very uh, emotional because he said, hey, the medicine that I described to you is known uh, to cause birth defects. In babies in the womb, especially young ones. And he looked at her and he said, Hey, I would advise for you to get an abortion. 
So my mom being just a little um, emotional, struggling at the time, goes home, talks to my dad. My dad calls Chaplain Clark because he was their mentor, the guy that led them to the Lord. And Chaplain Clark, because he was so uh, a mentor to them, was able to speak truth into their their life about, hey, God's not going to give you more than you have to, more than you can handle. God's, God's doing something in the middle of all of this. And you know what happened? Like, I was born August 3rd, 1980. And yeah, the medicine may explain a few things still. But here I am because of the faithfulness of God to bring in a chaplain to share the gospel with my parents. Uh, Not only that, when I was in college, I interned as a youth intern at my home church for two years. And then uh, because I was not doing great at A&M, uh, I was, I was going to graduate with a little bit of a victory lap. You know, I was going to take four and a half, maybe five years. So I was going to take summer school. And so I was in an Easter pageant at the end of April. I was a Jewish dancer and a Roman soldier. I'm sorry. Don't like have, enjoy getting that out of your head. And, uh, and my parents came and watched at the end of April. And at the end of April, we went to an ice cream shop and my dad said, Hey, look, our company, we just lost a big contract. Um, we think that you need a job this summer. And I remember getting really frustrated because, Hey, it'd have been really helpful to know that like two months ago, school gets out in 10 days. And, and here I am with no job, no plan, uh, not knowing what I need to do. And you're telling me that I have to make a certain amount just to stay at school. So the next day, I go into the Baptist student ministry on, you know, at A&M, and Bob Mayfield, the director at the time, says, hey guys, I got a call this morning from a church in the Woodlands, and they're looking for uh, an interim youth pastor because their youth pastor just left to be a pastor somewhere. And here I was, the two summers before, youth intern at my home church. And I'm like, I need a job now. And I'm like, raise my hand. Bob, as fast as I can get to you, I think I, wanna, I want more information about that. So he gives my number. And here I am, two days later, sitting in front of two men at First Baptist Church of the Woodlands, not knowing that when I get that job, I'm going to meet my wife in just a few weeks. And so when you begin to navigate and think through all the pieces that God has woven into your story, all the things that he's woven into you and protected you from, even in the middle of hardship, even in the middle of trouble, God's taught you something to get you on the path exactly where he wants you. You look back and you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe how faithful God has been to me in the past. And when we realize that God has been faithful in the past and we say yes to him in the small things in the past, we're going to say yes to him when he asks us to get out of the boat again, right? And so the question now is, since that's not Peter's first yes, but he has a whole treasure chest of God's faithfulness. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, when was the last time we just pondered the faithfulness of God in our life? When was the last time that you took 15, 20 minutes and you just said, God, show me the areas that you've been faithful to me in the past. 
When was the last time you gave yourself the gift of thinking about God and his beautiful plan and the path that he has you on? Because when we think about the faithfulness of God in the past, our treasure chest begins to get full of all the ways God has moved. And when he asks us to step out of the boat again, it won't be the first time we've thought of it. So when was the last time we've done that? The second thing that I think happens in this with Peter is that Peter doesn't just have all of the history. He has communion with the Lord. I mean, I understand Jesus is in the flesh right here, um, directly from God, God incarnate. And Peter is walking with him day by day, moment by moment. And his relationship with the Lord is vibrant. He knows the voice of God in his life. Now, you might be thinking, hey, George, uh, different moment, different time. Uh, We don't have Jesus right here and I can do Q&As with him. Well, you know what I find really interesting is that when Jesus ascends into heaven, he tells the disciples and the others, he says, uh, there will be someone greater than I that will come who will give you what you need. So, so you know what that tells me? It tells me that we have access to the same thing that Peter had access to if not even greater, where where the Holy Spirit literally encourages us and empowers us to be courageous. But what we have to do in life, I mean, let me just ask you a real question. Let's just get real honest. When was the last time you feel like you've heard the voice of God in your life? When was the last time you like took the word of God and you said, God, I'm not moving until I hear something from you. And you just started reading. And then something jumped off the page. And then you started meditating on it. Started thinking about it. It's where you hear the voice of God. Has that been a week? Has it been a month? Since you've heard the voice of God in your life? Has it been six months? A year? If we're honest, has it been two years or five years? When was the last time you said, God, I need to hear from you? And you put yourself in a place to hear it. We have access to the Holy Spirit to that type of relationship with our Savior. And we often allow so many things to keep us busy but not actually have a voice that we hear from God. So here we are. Peter, two things. He had a treasure chest of faithfulness in the past from the Lord. And then he was at a place where he continually heard from the Lord. But what about the moments when you actually step out? What about the moments you actually got out of the boat and start going? What's God's reaction to us then? When we feel in the wind and we're feeling the struggle. There are three times in this text that the word immediately is used. Verse 22. 
It says Jesus immediately made the disciples get into the boat and go before him on the other side. He knew it was best for them. But then, verse 27, when they're fearful of a ghost, look what happens. Verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke. It wasn't like Jesus was like, hey, hold on. This is going to be really good. I'm going to play a little prank on them. But it's going to all work out okay. No, immediately he addressed their concern. And then when Peter looks at the wind and sees the waves and sinks, what does it say in verse 31? Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. You know what I love? When, we have the, when we're empowered to say yes and we think about the faithfulness and we think about hearing from the voice of the Lord and then we step out of the boat and start doing things that are counter to our culture or doing things that we feel like God's called us to, in the middle of the moment, in the middle of our struggle, there is a loving Savior when we just don't know what to do next and we see the wind and we see all the obstacles and we're out of our comfort zone who immediately comes to our need when we need it. I don't know what what your image is of God, but I hope it is one who is intimately acquainted with our ways, knows what's going on, and then will immediately respond when we need it. That's the picture of our Savior. And so the question that I want to leave you with, where is God calling you to step out of the boat? High school students, school's coming again. Where is God asking you to step out of the boat? College students, the summer term is almost coming to an end. Where is God asking you to step out of the boat? Parents, where is God asking you to step out of the boat? Single, where is God asking you to step out of the boat? People that don't want to admit how old they are. God's not done with you. Where is he asking you to step out of the boat? My prayer and my hope for us is that we would be just like Peter. That we would have a treasure chest of faithfulness. An intimate walk with the Lord that empowers us to be courageous. And then in the middle of our courage, we would recognize that we have a Savior who still cares for us, is not done with us. That's my hope for us. That's my prayer. God, thank you for us. Thank you for the time that we get to just celebrate and understand you a little bit more. And so God, I pray you would speak to us. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would once again call us out of our comfortableness, that you would call us out and empower us to take the step that you've called us to. And God, I pray that we would trust that even when we're out of the boat, that you're empowering us and immediately there for our rescue. So God, thanks. Thanks for being that type of savior. We praise in your son's name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here. Let me just challenge you with one thing. Will you give yourself the gift of 20 minutes at some point in the next two days to ponder the faithfulness of God in your life? Thank you so much. Y'all have a great afternoon and we'll see you back here next week.